welcome to our first cigar salon. Even though it's not our first, we do this every single week. We get together, just a few older guys, kinky guys smoking cigars, and we start talking about topics. And every time we do, I'm like, I wish I had that on tape. So this is gonna be our first one. Um, we are gonna talk like we normally do. We're not talking to the camera. It's gonna be organic. We're gonna keep going. Um, but first, let's find out a little bit of who's here. Okay. Let's start with you, Race. You wanna tell people who you are? Sure, uh, I'm Race Bannon. I am uh, a writer and organizer and activist, a speaker, an educator within um, the leather and kink scene and the LGBTQ scene generally. Uh, and I've been doing all that since about 1973. <laughs> and doing it very well, I might add. Oh, well, thank you. I, I try. <laughs> and then we've got Jim over here, who is my cigar smoking buddy for six years. Six years, yeah. You keep me supplied in my cigars. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, like you say, I'm Jim, and I am an advanced practice nurse, and I'm a little bit younger than race because I really have been working in queer health since about 75, 76, um, and different capacities. Obviously, um, my leaping off is being an RN, an advanced practice nurse. Yeah, and you've you've got all of that experience behind you, I, which you 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 have no problem sharing with me every single. <laughs> <laughs> well, only when I'm right. <laughs> Which you always think you are. So, wait, wait, who's who's always right? <laughs> no, no, I need I I'm part of the cigar salon, right? So, like, yeah, you are. So <laughs> we haven't gotten to our producer yet, who oh, will jump it. in. Uh, producer, would you like to say who you are? Oh, sure. Hi, hello. Uh, but wait, who do you think's right? Before I introduce myself. Ooh. Oh yes. Oh oh. Um, I think you're both right. Oh, the answer. <laughs> Hi, I'm Amp, and I'm I'm behind the camera because I, I can't trust to be on camera and focused on three different people at the same time. So, and because you have the most expertise in pulling this stuff off. Well, I try, <laughs> but I'm I'm trying not to produce the entire thing. But also, we haven't introduced uh, what the name of the show is yet, Daddy, and I think we're about three minutes in. Do you want to? Well, I, I, I'm I'm getting there. Oh, okay. Okay. Anyway, I'm Amp. Hi. <laughs> And I'm Mr. Christopher. Uh, I co-host the show, What's the Safe Word, with AMP. Um, I have 30 years experience mainly directing porn in the gay kinky genre. Um, Race was my mentor. I've known him 30 years. I've directed a shit ton of porn. So what this is is a salon. Uh, we're calling it On Guard because we are from an older guard generation. But Old Guard is getting a bad rap right now uh, of not being able to adapt to the younger generation coming up and all the new issues that are at hand. Um, so we will address a lot of those topics. Mm -hmm. um, but explain, Jim, what a salon is, because I hadn't heard of it. Well, it's very interesting, and I'm going to ask Grace to jump in here with me because we really had this conversation where, you're right, we'd get together either whether here in the city or even at some of the queer events like Smoke Out and sit around and talk about, and it would get into some really interesting topics, very insightful. And so I started saying, God, it's kind of like the salons of... Um, you know, I was thinking Paris or New York City, and then Race and I were talking, and he goes, Dorothy Parker. And I was like, yes! Who's and it was, Dorothy Parker? 
She this was is before me. Well, it's before all of us because in the twenties and thirties, she was kind of a, a poet in a. Um, just all an author who wrote about current events. Um, and once she started getting folks together, like other writers and actors and um, humorists, they started saying the same thing. Like, wow, this is really compelling stuff and we should start, you know, getting this down. And that was the beginning of really the chronicler, the writings and, and the, the information being imparted from this, the Algonquin Roundtable, the salon in New York City. But as Race and I discussed, it actually, the concept, I believe, comes from old Paris. And I believe it it did come from Paris. And there was this concept of, I think it was often the wealthy would invite people into their home and they would sit around and have cocktails and they would talk about intellectual topics of the day. It was this way to sort of share amongst each other information and intellectual thought and things like that. So that's really where it started, I believe. And I think he's right. And then I brought up about when we started talking about how here in San Francisco, you know, in the 50s, the beat generation was based here in the city. And it was one of the few cities, you know, the Barbary Coast, where, you know, like a lot of freaks, like still today, would congregate and live there because of the freedom and and the openness to life. And it really started, and it's what turned into the hippie movement. And are, are we one of those freaks? We are, are we, definitely. Are we the freaks? We are the freak. Okay, good. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Me I too. It. Me too. Well, I love that. Um, so we are just going to continue having our little chats like we always do. Um, but we're not, we're just talking about our own life experiences. Right. We don't. Whoa. And we're outside, so there's lots of noise in San Francisco. So, we'll just talk over it. No, we'll wait. Uh, Producers uh, saying to stop. Segway, motorcycle clubs were very important. Oh. <laughs> they were. Yes, tell me about that. Well, I think that hyper-masculinity of the, the, of this talk. Right, <laughs> of the 1950s motorcycle guy is a little bit in the history of the leather community. That, without a doubt. Entirely. And, is. And, and, you know, if you think about it, the parallels between they were a gang and we were a gang, you know, kind of isolated, you know, counterculture. So my question is, do you think, and I, I've been a firm believer, that leather culture kind of grew as a, uh, not, when people came out as being gay, they were assumed to be effeminate. Right. So there was a subsect of gay guys who didn't want to be equated as being effeminate. So they went the opposite direction and went leather. And it's, it's actually a form of very hyper-masculine drag that made them feel okay with their manhood and being gay. Yeah. Yeah. I think, think I, I think most of the historians um, would back that up. I mean, no one knows specifically how that came to be, but, the belief is that Tom of Finland had a big part of that. Tom of Finland had a big part of that. The motor, the motorcycle crowd absolutely had a big, big part of that. And I think that indeed men at the time were being sort of pegged as effeminate. Absolutely. And nothing wrong with that. But at the time, well, at the time. And so I think that, that I think that's exactly why we need to talk about this, because now being effeminate is not a something to be ashamed of. It's not something um, anyone looks down at. Mm-hmm. It's very open and accepted. Um, 
but this old guard crowd has continued to keep that tradition going of that hyper masculinity to the point of being labeled toxic masculinity. Um, what are your thoughts on that now? You know, I, I think that even back then, I don't think anyone thought being effeminate was wrong. It was just dangerous. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was absolutely point, dangerous right? to be out and about and effeminate. You were going to get beaten up. You were going to get ridiculed, etc. And so I think to some extent, consciously or unconsciously, a lot of leather guys adopted this kind of hyper-masculine right. persona. So you, th you think they thought they well, were going to blend because they're wearing butt ass well, no. assless chaps? <laughs> no, but, 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 it, but it bucked the concept of, of effeminacy. And I, and I think that... Um, Mostly because at the time it was very, very dangerous. It was. Well, the, and the other thing that I experienced with that was that you were expected to be effeminate once you identified as gay. gay. That was the, a of friend the day. of Dorothy. Right. Well, and we used to call, we had our own language, you know, Mary, stop it, or, you know, and we yeah. had all of that and loved it. And I actually missed that. However, I think the leather gave permission for guys to express their masculinity. Um, in a way that they were able to really experience it because they, they were we were all kind of pigeonholed as, oh, you're a fag, you're a sissy, you're all these things. So on top of what you, you two were saying, I also think there was a real positive thing to it that within the community, it was like, look, I am a queer, I'm a cocksucker, but you know, I still have a masculine side and I want to be able to experience it. So it allowed them to be okay with being gay. Right. Which actually brings me to the next point was, I feel like in our generation, we had two coming outs if you're kinky. It took about five to seven years just, just to come out as gay and be okay with that. And then it took another five or seven years to come out into the fetish or whatever you were really kinky and into. So my question to both of you is gonna be, when did you come out? How, how, how was the environment when you came out and what was going on around you? And then when did you come out as being kinky and accepting your fetish um, lifestyle? You want to start? Sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, I knew I was, I was attracted to boys when I was very young, right out of the gate. I knew that. That doesn't mean I came out, but Good. I was absolutely aware that I was gay from a very, very young age. And under the guise of um, um, playing child games, I would tie boys to trees and we'd do, do fun things like that. And, and I didn't know exactly what I was doing at the time. I just did it. So I always knew I was attracted to guys. And then at about age of 16, I came out as bisexual. Mm -hmm. which absolutely there are many true bisexuals. I think I am probably about a, you know, Kinsey 5.9, 5.8. Um, and uh, then within about a year, I was completely out. I was out to parents. I was out to some friends. And at 17, underage, I walked into the Gold Coast Bar in Chicago. So almost simultaneously with me coming out gay, Officially, I walked right into the a leather hyper culture. leather culture yeah. that was, um, and for those that don't know, the Gold Coast was one of the great leather bars oh, of yeah. the world. 501 North Clark Street. I even remember the address. Chicago. 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 And um, I, it was the second gay bar I had ever been in. And I walked in and I went, oh my God, I'm home. So your experience was you came out both at the same time. Pretty close. Okay. To being officially out and 
honest about being gay and then Into Leather was almost simultaneous. So for me, and I came out probably, I was probably about 10, 15 years behind you. I came out first to my parents, uh, then to a select group of friends I thought would be accepting of it. And each one was a positive response. And I know lots of people who came out in my generation did not get that positive response from their parents or friends. Uh, so it was a lot harder and longer for them to come out. I also came out when HIV and AIDS was full blown. So mm. there was a stigma of coming out as gay at that time as well that, oh, do you have AIDS? And people would be standoffish towards you because when I came out in 87, um, it still wasn't completely known that how it was transmitted. Um, so I didn't come out as kinky, even though I knew I liked bondage for another five years, probably 92 when I met you. Um, and I started doing gay kinky porn with Zeus. Um, and then that just really, and then I met all of these people I had been reading about in Drummer Magazine, you, Tony DeBlas, uh, Brian Dawson, and I had great mentors that took me to the next step where a lot of people didn't. Question? Yes. Um, I don't think, if you're looking at a, a newer generation, they might not know what Drummer Magazine is. You might want to explain that actually. So Drummer Magazine uh, was the only kink publication at the time. Well, there's Mock and Checkmate. I think, I don't know the exact timing, but it was certainly the preeminent. It was, it was before the internet, let's put it that way. Yeah, it was way, way before the so internet. So <laughs> the only porn or kink we got was through movies, VHS, and magazines. Well, I predate VHS. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they used to show them in the movie theaters. Right, right. I used to live two doors down from um, one of the, the big gay movie theaters in Chicago. And so we used to sit and watch porn yeah, in, in the theater. theater. Oh, I loved that. <laughs> the idea of doing it, yeah, and doing it in private was unheard of. I mean, right. right. What year are you talking? Uh, this would have been 1972, yeah. so People yeah. had eight millimeter films and right. those were yeah. mostly straight porn. Mostly straight porn. And then old theaters, because that was at the time when theaters were becoming, I don't know, they were still beautiful, grand, but they weren't being used for that. So they became porn houses, used to have great music on those stages. But yeah. Yeah. And so the generation coming up now, they've got the internet, they've oh, got tons of resources to go to about how consent and how to safely do it. And uh, what's the safe word is a good <laughs> example. Yes. So this, this generation has a lot of resources that we didn't have. At the time, we were a lot of uh, exploring and figuring it out ourselves. So when I came out and I was going to the Eagle, a lot of the people that I would play with were still closeted about their kink, especially to their friends. Um, and now people are coming out at 17, 18 with no problems diving into puppy play, diving into kink gear, diving by 22, 23. It's just the norm now. And I think it's fantastic. There, there are some people who think, oh, the, the younger people of today have it too easy. Thank goodness they have it yeah, easy. I'm thrilled for them. I mean, why not 
share like on something like what's a safe word all this great information all this great technique all this great background why should somebody take 10 15 years to learn something they can learn in a year because right? that's what it took it right. took us it 10 took, to 15 years it did. right when did you come out Let's see. So I came out, it was either 74 or 75, and it was different for me because I'm from Buffalo, New York. And when I think about it, you know, I think my origination was a little different because we all had very long hair. We were into the whole hippie thing. We were a group of friends where we were all, I was on the younger side, say 15 up to some people being 24. So it was this real interesting free love, this sense of whatever, but gay was not mentioned, although I knew like you from a very young age that I was gay, with like most gay people Most people do, do but yeah. it just being comfortable with Owning, owning it. Well, in that group of friends, three of us ended up being gay and never even mentioned it to each other until we were like 18 or 19 oh, years wow. old. Oh, wow. Yeah. And back then, because of Vietnam, you were able, it was legal to drink at 18. Oh. So, you know, it, what was interesting for me was the bisexual. Absolutely, I don't remember when, but back then, many of us came out saying we're bisexual and in your friends group dating women or not. And that was code for just, I'm well, really gay. Yeah, and it was accepted. Like, if you think about it, so what were my experiences so different? We went from really being heavily into music, a lot of drugs, a lot of partying, long hair, and then glam rock came along with David Bowie and T-Rex, <laughs> and we got into the glitter rock and Alice Cooper. And believe it or not, that's when I started meeting out gay people and came out myself, and it was acceptable just within our little group. Because we were poor. Listen, we were like dog patch. So, you know, Wait, it was somewhat dog, insular. Dog it, poor people, you know. This, is it, is yeah, that a and dog patch from a little Abner. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but so different from you guys where you got right into, I mean, knowing these superstars in Drummer Magazine in the gay world. I was still migrating around this small group and then going to gay bars, going to baths. For me, when I was 18, when I discovered club baths, there used to be this chain of club baths. Loved it. Is that like a bathhouse? It is a bathhouse, oh. yeah. It used to be actually a chain around the country. They were, they were called the club baths, and it was kind of like 24-hour fitness. If you had a membership anywhere, you could get into yeah. them anywhere. And I'll never forget, so I just will say this piece, that um, there was three of us, at, and this friend of mine, Russell, comes up to me, and we had a couple of friends who used to perform as drag queens, and he knocked on my door in the baths, and he goes, you're not going to believe it, Mona went home with some big leather guy. I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to hear what they do. <laughs> <laughs> and Mona was this little, <laughs> this little um, Puerto Rican, um, we always called her Mona, I don't really remember his real name, but, um, and, and that was when <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to ask her what they did, what, the, what they do. So that was my introduction. <laughs> so when did you come out as kinky? Well, for me, like I had kinky sex when I would go home with somebody. I used to get tricks. You'd go to the gay bar in, in New York. The bars closed at four. So at three, you started eyeing. You know, you danced all night and then you started eyeing who you were going to go home with. And after Mona's experience, I was seeking out these big leather guys trying to find <laughs> one. So, But for me, I would have straight gay sex 
and then seek out going out with kinksters. Wait, because, I love the straight gay sex. What's well, straight just, gay sex? Just like, you know, the sweater crowd, the, the non-kink. The non-kink sweater crowd. Well, the preppy crowd. Preppy. Yeah. But I would start seeking out, and there was this bar in Buffalo called the Villa Capri, which is where the leather guys went, and then that was my home. We just started going there and quote, tricking with any leather guy that would have us. Uh, I was like an 18-year-old little twink. <laughs> 17. So <laughs> you, my theory is not as correct then because you both came out and into kink well, immediately. I don't think, we didn't have the drag because it just wasn't available. You know, like if a guy- The drag had, of leather? The drag of leather. You know, if a guy, there were no harnesses or anything yet, but like the leather bar vest- um, maybe leather pants if you had a lot of money, because to us that was very expensive. That we coveted having something like that. But um, so, yeah, I think it was intertwined. What about boots? For me, boots always a big always thing. Boots. That was yeah. people, and that you could get away with. I remember I bought logger boots mm-hmm. at this um, uniform store that laced that were up to here and laced up Hot and boots. wore though. Oh my God, it got me more of the leather guys. <laughs> That Thinking was... I knew more than I did. People also don't, um, back in the day, um, we called them leather Levi bars. Yeah, leather Levi it leather, was. Leather You're right, bars. I forgot. And because so many guys were, and I was one of them, were mostly in leather, boots mm-hmm. and maybe a vest, but it was mostly, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a Levi look. And there was a lot of cross-pollination between leather and Levi I and a cowboy look, etc. And so... Um, a lot of guys didn't have any leather back then. You wear it, boots, a belt, and if you were kind of, you know, white t-shirt and jeans, you were good. Yeah, you're, you're, I forgot all about, they were always called leather Levi yep, bars. they were. And, but I remember going to New York City, and I was, because I hitchhiked, so I was probably, I wasn't 18 yet, maybe 16 or 17. I hitchhiked to New York City, and um, it was the first time I saw a guy totally decked out in leather. Because, of course, went to the West Village and, you know, you just always heard of Greenwich Village as the place where hippies would go. So I beelined it to the village and it was like Valhalla. But there was this guy, you know, now I would think it was full leather drag. I had never seen anything like that before. You know, the cap and just full leather regalia. And I think I actually like followed him around a few blocks. (laughs) I have a question. How would you define drag differently then versus now? Like, would your would your definition change? Would you still consider leather drag? Well, this is interesting that you ask because we used to call everything other than your straight day uniform drag. Like we had bar outfits. And so it was like you were saying, I'm putting on my bar drag. I'll be ready in a minute. So I had I actually my roommate was a drag queen who was just a performer. Um, used to perform in drag and was always trying to get into the jewel box review. Never did, but was a way to make money and big money, or they thought. But um, so I, that kind of languaging I take from the 70s, but um, because you really separated your lives. Like you had your, your, dra- your drag mm-hmm. was whatever. Um, and that's just how we talk. I've got to get my yeah. bar drag on. I'll be right ready. And that's basically <laughs> how I've always viewed it myself because I don't care how much leather you put on. 
at the end of the day and how much you beat me in the bedroom, at the end of the day, you are sipping cocktails and talking cooking recipes <laughs> at the end. <laughs> I, th I think I benefited when I came out in Chicago into both gay life and leather kink life. Um, I hung out with leather men and drag queens. Right. That was, that was my people. And so, uh, I mean, the Gold Coast was here, my favorite leather bar, and right across the street was the Bataan, which was a world-famous drag bar. And it was drag queens and leather men who accepted me. And I think that's what mattered yeah. when I walked into a leather bar and I felt accepted. I felt at home. It wasn't just how hot it was, but for some reason I felt really accepted. And the drag queens did the exact same thing yeah. with me. They, I could be, you know, completely kinked out and they would still just embrace me. And I loved that. So I never really used the word drag for my leather garb or anything outside of my, my day wear. Sure. Um, because I came out right into drag, you know, yeah. into drag Well, I never used culture. the word drag either because for me it, it made drag queen part of it. Um, but I always viewed it that way. Well, I, it's interesting that you say that because I think Robbie, well, I was with roommates that were drag queens, so we used the, that language a lot. But race, you know what, you, I'll tell you, the reason why I had this affinity to Villa Capri, which was the leather bar where the drag queens went, was I was very accepted there, but you know, the other side of it seemed to be, now this is gonna sound weird, but I came from a very poor background and I just fit in with that crowd because they were so accepting. And the other crowd in the dance bars and that, I just felt intimidated because I don't know, they dressed better or they seemed to be more of, you know, a middle or upper class. And you're right, from day one, drag queens and the leather, whether they were rich or not, it was just seemed like a more welcoming environment. Yeah. Yeah, it was I used to go, uh, I used to always go to dance clubs. Yeah. Um, so I was a leather man who would, <laughs> I would go to the bar, it was called the Bistro in Chicago, which was only a block away from where the Cold Coast was. So I would go there, dance till a certain amount of time, run home three blocks away, change into whatever <laughs> I was going to wear <laughs> to the leather bar. And that's where I would go to connect. I never hooked up in the, dis in the disco. I always went to the leather bar to hook up but I absolutely hung out with that kind of dance crowd. Right, you know what's funny, I did the opposite because we used to, like in New York City, we used to go to the Ice Palace, or believe it or not, Circus Circus was around, God, I forgot, in the Broadway area, which used to be Real as Hell's Kitchen, and it actually had circus performers and a net and the whole nine yards. However, then we would go out to the leather bars or the baths, and I always went to the mine shaft or, and didn't wear many clothes, so what you wore, at least what I like to do, what I wore going in didn't matter, but a lot of the leather guys stayed in their leather guard um, kind of outfits or drag or whatever we call it, but that's so funny. And you, you mentioned the bathhouses, the baths, and they were so integral oh, I to, loved them. to gay our, culture. To gay oh. culture. I, I mean, the very first super kinky person I met um, after the Gold Coast was at the baths. Yeah. You know, he came, came out and he was in leather and, and chaps and I had never really seen that too much. And, um, Baths were part of our culture. It's where oh, I we socialized. It. It's where we had sex. It's where we met friends that we would then go, you know, outside of um, baths and, and bars. It, and it was kind of a safe environment, too, because oh, you cool. were shielded from uh, society, basically. Mm -hmm. 
that was judging you. Yeah. Well, and it was great because there were baths that were more kink and kind of rough. And, and then there were baths where you could buy food and you could hang out. And so and you that could. Midler would sing. Well, yeah, I missed that era. Don't I wish that I saw her. No, no. Come explain that. <laughs> Bette Midler got her start. Start in the, the Continental Baths in New York City. In New York City. Let's see what else has been happening since I'm here at the Continental. Let's see, Jaja Gabor. Jaja Gabor and her hairdresser checked into a hotel in Cleveland, Ohio. And um, they went up the stairs, you know, up to the room to see what the room looked like. And Miss Gabor opened the door and there were two naked men in the bed. Well, she fled in panic. But the hairdresser stayed. <laughs> song is not to be listened to because honey it ain't gonna sound too hot <laughs> but it is gonna look great <laughs> City. No. And this an interesting story about that was Don, one of the people I don't want to say anybody's name in here, but um you just, you just did. he was <laughs> a bartender that I dated who worked at the mine shaft and then at a gay resort hotel, run down one. But it was the same guys who owned the Continental Baths that burned. And I remember it was the first time and it was the first person I ever met who had a cogent, passionate like we need to do something because the way we were treated during that fire of the Continental Baths in New York, and it was before I ever got near there, he was the first person I ever met that I thought, you know, this this really is like, it isn't just sex. This really is our life. And if yeah. we don't start like doing something, you know, it, it was considered non-significant deaths. I hate to say that, but at the time when the Continental Baths burned and, um, you know, people lost their lives, it was not a big deal. Same with AIDS. Well, that's a whole nother story, but <laughs> it, that I can't even talk without fury. Yeah. Maybe, that, maybe that's another episode topic entirely. <laughs> the, the, the leather leather's drag topic is lovely. Let's stay on top. Yeah. Let's stay on that. But, you know, I do remember, it's so funny because, you know, I was in Buffalo running um, a very large, it was before Ryan White funds came around and, and they were available, but we didn't get them yet. So I was applying for them. Um, for the Visiting Nurse Association that I worked for. And Toronto AIDS Project and Western, um, the WINYAP, Western New York AIDS Program, I was on their board. But um, I started working with people from there and they kept the baths open in Canada and in Toronto. And in the States, they closed them down. And it was the biggest mistake we ever made because it was such an integral part of the community. And I was working with these guys from Toronto who were fantastic. They were nurses from um, University of Toronto School of Nursing. They were doing AIDS education in the baths. They were showing people how to put rubbers on quickly. They had all these kink things of, of contests where guys would put rubbers on with their mouth. It was the smartest thing they ever did. I was living in, I moved to Los Angeles in 1980. So that's where the AIDS era started um, for me was in Los Angeles. And um, I remember very distinctly that the woman who was running the public health department, I hope I get this right, 
um, they were going to close the baths. And she actually testified and said, do not close the baths. This is my access to people yep. that I will never be able to educate any other way. And it was through they her advocacy. They didn't have the internet. Yeah, it was through her advocacy that the baths in Los Angeles stayed open. Yeah, and the ones in Canada did. And I only had that interaction with them. But I remember it to this day. It was a big mistake. Because the baths were, were you know, you just used to go hang out, have sex, meet people. It was social. Um, it was the hub of the community. Because once you went into the bars, it was like any bar. Loud music, you're dancing, you're getting drunk. The the baths were an environment where you really had a community. There was a bathhouse in um, Chicago called uh, Man's Country. God, I went I went oh. to Man's Country. It was, it was a great <laughs> place. Is that the one that had the grotto in the bottom with the yes. pool? Yes. I loved that. That was, it was the grotto? It yeah, did. It, it had did this. It. And we it, used to call it the grotto. It had a theater yeah. with a dance hall. It had a leather and sex shop. It had uh, a place where you could buy food and a place where you could yeah. eat. Like and you could sit like a snack bar. Right. I, I actually spent, I think, once 48 hours straight because I didn't need mm-hmm. to leave. You didn't need to leave. You oh. didn't need to leave. And um, it was it was not just about sex. That's it wasn't. It really wasn't. In fact, the bulk of it was socializing, meeting people, and like you said earlier, feeling safe in these walls that nobody can come get yeah. me here. I'm safe with my people. You're not going to be attacked for no. being who you are. Well, and one of my friends used to really practice drag in there. Like, we'd go to the baths, and he would, you know, we'd have sex, have son, do whatever we were doing, not with each other, because we were friends. And then he'd say, you know, I'm going to try this out today. And he'd come out and just drive. And people would say, I really like that, or I don't, or, oh, I saw, you know. It, it was. It was just more than sex, although it was a lot of sex. I remember, that it just because it's a, something I really remember so well. There was a famous stripper named Sally Rand. Oh, God, yeah. Everyone knew, you know, she was world famous. And she came and entertained for us. Yeah at the bathhouse, at Man's Country, on stage. And she was fairly old at the time. And the gay boys just loved her. And it was this, it was, it felt like we were uh, a, a place of culture. It, I know that sounds odd for a lot of people, but the bathhouse was. was a place of culture. It really was. We, we talked about um, all kinds of topics. It was like our salon. <laughs> we talked about all these topics. We'd <laughs> yeah. sit around and then, oh, maybe I'll go have sex. No, but this conversation's really good. I'm going to stay here. I remember going into the Ma- Man's Country one time and I was there for a good 12, 14 hours and didn't have sex once. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I went for the social aspect. You went for the social aspect. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's too bad that's gone. And the most fascinating thing is we're going to finish our cigars and keep the camera rolling. <laughs> it's just going to go off on some other crazy tangent. And that may make it in. Who knows? Who knows? What? No, no. No, no, no. no, no. no, no. <laughs> And then the puppy can edit all of it. Uh, edit it, yeah. puppy. Cut. Okay, great. Yes. Wow. How wonderful. Right, now, this is... Help. Help. Yeah. Now, Amp, this is your medium. Did this make sense to you? Was this okay? Okay. I have no. I don't have any way to, to judge. I wanted to ask more questions, but I didn't want to interrupt. Why didn't you? Should. Well, we could ask a yeah, couple questions and, and see it. if it happens. What's your question, Millennial? Yeah. I wanted to know when when the culture stopped being culture. Uh, we look at bathhouses nowadays, and my generation especially just kind of sees like, eh, it's just sex, and oh, it's nasty and gross. And like, that's why they were shut down, yeah. is because it was viewed by the general public as just spreading AIDS, spreading STDs, yeah. da 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 da. But that's not really what they were about. Not at all. And I think that because they closed the baths, and then there were all these restrictions, that environments did become just sex clubs. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. then, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it, where before, first off, I will say this is not healthy, but I miss that kind of being 
a self-chosen other, of going mm -hmm. into the baths and fuck the straights, who cares, you know? Straight people would never come into a gay bar. I miss those days. I do. Yeah. No. I, 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 and I do think, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying it was nice to go to yeah. those bars, those bathhouses, et cetera, and feel like we were amongst people that fully understood us and were shielded a little bit away from the general public. That was kind of the point. Right. And back then it was also about safety. It was. Well, I had friends who was arrested. I had one friend, actually somebody who I dated for a long time, who was arrested in one of the typical cop sweep swings of one of the parks in Buffalo. You know, he could never get a job. Thank God he worked at the baths or else he would never have earned a living. Yeah. And they destroyed his life. And, you know, it wasn't like it was some kind of a setup or anything. It was people, you know, doing nothing wrong. But you, nobody cared either that that happened to him. It was like, well, if you should expect it. it because they're a gay. It right. was a very different time. I was in Chicago. I was working in a bar called The Glory Hole. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> you can imagine. Um, <clears throat> so I'm working at The Glory Hole. We're walking um, with a friend of mine, another bartender, who was a drag queen also. And uh, two of us were leathermen that worked there. One was a drag queen, et cetera. And um, we're walking down the street and the police pull up. And they jump out of the car and they say to my friend, the drag queen, how many oh, yeah. articles of men's clothing I do you have yeah. on? Oh, really? had to have I forgot. Three yeah. I think it was three articles of men's clothing on, or you could be arrested. Yeah, oh, I And they forgot. carted them off. Yeah. And then there were like 15, 20 of us walking down the street. We ended up at the jail, and it was only because the owner of the bar, the Glory Hole at the time, had connections within Chicago politics. He was able to make a call and get them out. Right. But um, we... we that's what would happen back then. And oh, that's yeah. why we needed safety. All the time. And, All the time. and the, the, that is the backstory. F flash forward 30 years to where we are today. I, I see on the streets all the time uh, gay boys wearing, I mean, you can't tell gendered clothes any, anymore from yeah. either direction. Yeah. And it's because of what we've gone through that they're able to do that now. Thank, thank goodness yeah. they can do it now. Thank I mean, right. you're so. I, mean, I forgot about that. That was a big thing. You know, in, in Buffalo, where I'm from, there was the dance bar, there was a piano bar, and there was the Villa Capri. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do you remember those? Yeah. The piano yeah. bar was kind of what we would go to today if we were back in those. But it was also where you went after work or, you know, because the other ones were night bars. And I was in there once and knew the bartender, and two people came in, I'm not gonna say what their job was, but he paid them off. And I was like, what is that all about? He's like, we'll never get raided, you're always safe here. Yep. Oh, you remember when the gay bars had to pay off and the they, Well, I'm not gonna say who, because back then, I mean, they would beat your ass if you ever even said something about a cop, and probably still do. But that, I found out, I thought it was just because we were in little, you know, but I found out later as I got out in the world that was extremely common. Gay bar owners had to really deal with the police because dancing together was illegal. Yep. Mm -hmm. I forgot about the clothing, mm -hmm. but you had to have certain amounts of like men's underwear or something yep. stupid on. Mm -hmm. Or you were arrested for indecent, what did they used to call it? It was... Exposure. Yeah, no, not exposure. It was, it was something that was actually. Yeah, I there was forget. a name for it. I there forget. was a name for it. But, um, you know, it, and that made us insular in things like the bars and the baths, and that you had this community. And I think we were 
I think people are very, I think the gay community today is incredible. But back then there was a little bit more of a sense of it didn't matter who you were or what you were, you were accepted just by the queer. The moment you walked in, you were kind of enveloped yeah. in this, in these arms of, of, of your fellow gay men at the time. Right. It, back then it was pr pretty much just gay men that went to bars. And um, the sense of safety allowed you to exhale. Mm. Yeah. Well, the Villa Capri had a drag queen, um, Rose, who actually was a drag queen in New Orleans and then met the owner of this bar and was the bartender there. And I'll never forget it. I was there early and somebody came in and Rose back then was just this campy 24 hour a day, even not in drag, drag queen. Mm -hmm. And was like, honey, come over here, sit down. You're new, aren't you? You're afraid. Sit with me, baby. I'll show you the ropes They always tonight. wanted you to be afraid. Yeah, and, but really meant it. And people would start, and he'd be like, leave him alone. And then he'd say, you know, that one's hard. I'd go for that one. You know, it was just, it was wonderful. Like a little mother hen. Yeah. But, but we had a lot of people like that in the community. Yeah. And it was often drag queens. And in, in my case, it was also leather men. Yeah. And when I first walked into a leather bar underage, and they, they knew I was pretty young. Right. I mean, they didn't know I was underage. And it was people who would, come up to you and say, oh, you're new here, aren't you? Right. And it doesn't happen as much today. You're right. When you walk in. Back then, you, people would you'd walk in and they could sense you were new. They could sense this was something that you had not done before. And they kind of took you under their arm. She did. And I have to say, you're right. It was, but that was so dramatic to me because, you know, I was sitting there thinking the same thing. Oh, new meat. And it was like, no, you come over here and sit by me, honey. Yeah. You don't know what you're doing, do you? <laughs> and I just thought that, that that's... It was just some of the part of being community. It was a it was a type of mentorship. It was you know we talk in the leather and the king community yeah. about mentorship. Uh, there was kind of a gay mentorship. Yeah, where uh, somebody would take you under their arm and say, "I'll show you the ropes," so right. to speak. <laughs> that um, uh, you would really be allowed to be yourself and be protected by this one person who would then kind of introduce you to people in the bar. Sometimes it was a baz, and if yeah, same thing would happen in the baz. Yeah. I would walk in and somebody or somebody would walk in and they'd be could tell this was entirely they were isolating themselves yeah. and yeah. so do you think that was because the gay community was so small at that time that we were embracing of each other and looking out for each other I, when do you think when do you think that I, that started to change well i when think it was because every one of us was a victim and back then there was yeah. nobody who didn't get bullied or their family wouldn't accept them or they were mostly in the closet. I have to say back then, I don't remember anybody who didn't attend our orphans Thanksgiving. You know, we always used to have this big potluck at Thanksgiving and we always called it or orphans Thanksgiving and Christmas because people couldn't or didn't want to go home mm. and they wanted to celebrate it with their partners. And, um, and I think now there is more acceptance and it kind of made that less necessary, although it may be, isn't it? I don't know. That's what I think. I remember when you say Thanksgiving, we actually had Thanksgiving in the bar that I worked at, yeah. that we had all this food because we knew a lot of these they guys go could home. not go home. Yeah. Right. Well, and, but I, do you, I, I, th I tend to think that that is a little bit true still today. I do. I, I think lots of I do, queer yeah. youth now have chosen family as well. Um, I do think it's more mainstream acceptable to be gay than it was back then. Um, but I kind of see that just in a different form. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're I'm, right. I'm just curious as to, as being gay has become more acceptable over time. Do you think we as a community have been less protective of each other? Or because we've gentrified mm -hmm. into mainstream. I think we've politicized the, pr the protection aspect. In other I words, do. we have 
um, worked for our rights and therefore people feel a little bit safer safer now than they did. We have to remember too, we're in San Francisco. Right, no, yeah. we, uh, we're, we're in definitely a in a bubble. We're in a bubble. We're in a bubble. Everyone's gay, everyone's <laughs> and poly families out the New York, you were talking about New York, Los yeah. Angeles, yeah, yeah, where yeah. we met, Chicago, where I'm from. Uh, it, w it was different if you were in some small town in, the, in well, middle America, even today. Well, listen, I lived in Omaha for two years in the 90s. And it was a blast to the 70s for me. However, really great community. Um, uh, really great. But it had a little sense of that. And there was a little bit of that I liked. I was like, I remember this. This is pretty cool. Although, you know, the Midwest, it wasn't so, that So best. you think that still is happening I, today? I think in, in some communities. In the smaller communities. Yeah, I think it's... In the larger communities, the big bubbles, well, we have become so... What I worry about that is I think we're going into a really viciously conservative political time mm, yeah. that these younger or even middle-aged aren't going to have the skills to protect themselves. Um, and I've thought about that a lot. I'll tell you in, in some of the jobs I've had, because, you know, I've run trans programs and that, and you, when you work in healthcare in the gay community, you see a lot of that horrific stuff that still happens. Um, but I worry that I don't think people, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I got, I hope I'm wrong. I don't think people are going to have the skills to deal with what the conservative evangel evangelical Republican Party is going to bring down on us. Yeah. And we have to remember, even here in San Francisco, I was walking in the Castro um, a few years ago, not that many years ago, and I had a bottle thrown at me. Oh, yeah. Really? Well, a oh. truck, you know, faggot, boom. Well, you know? in, in New York, the Lavender Panthers, there was a time in the 70s where a group of guys did get together yeah. and called themselves the Lavender Panthers. And it was because the bridge and tunnel crew used to come in, and we called them that if they came from Long Island or, or wherever. Um, and it was sport to go fag bash. A bunch of teen white, that would seem to always be white to me at least, a jock type that you, yeah. the bullies from high school became young 20 year olds, not all of them of course, but would come into the city and beat the shit out of gay guys. And they yeah. knew where the gay neighborhoods were. And, yeah. and they to, knew where to find them. Yeah, we don't hide our neighborhoods no. anymore. <laughs> but did you, did they, was that just a New York thing, the Lavender Panthers? Uh, I remember the Lavender Panthers. I uh, I don't know if Chicago had anything similar. Um, we did have something similar here. In, in oh, did, see, they we have a Castro to, Patrol. Yeah, but long before we had something else, and yeah. I forget what they were called. But, yeah, uh, but was, I forgot about we that. Need history. We need history. <laughs> we need history. This is not written down. <laughs> and you know, the one time they dragged these two guys out of a car and did beat them up, which I don't condone. I, I like to think of myself as being nonviolent. Oh, it was all over the press. But there was no press about all the fag bashing that went on no. year after year, day after day um, back then. But boy, beat up some white straight boys from Long Island and, you know, it was in the news. You know, the, we've always, we've all been subject to the othering. Right. And we were the other. Yeah. And when you're the other, no matter what that other is, there's going to be that element that wants to attack, that wants to beat you up, that wants to well, suppress your rights, whatever it might be. What infuriates me, many things do. However, like Matthew <laughs> Shepard, the fact uh, that Wyoming still doesn't have hate mm. crimes legislation, and as I'm reading now, does like 1950s don't even persecute gay bashers. Mm -hmm. You know, that tells us all we need to know, that there's people who don't even realize the Ryan White story. I mean, not Ryan White, no, I'm mixing them, but uh, Matthew Shepard. And I'll tell you, I think that would still happen in many states, more so now than 10 years ago. 
I yeah. think it's probably still happening as we speak, unfortunately. I do too. I, and, yeah. and, and that's why it's so important for us to look at our history, where we've come from. That's why your voices are really important right now. Um, so I'm going to call time on this. We've gone all over the place, which is what a salon is. Right. It's so that is good. Poor Pup Amp editing this. <laughs> I, I, I apologize in advance. I don't know that I agreed to edit this. I was going to say, is Amp editing? I don't. Anyway, we will continue to do this once a month if you guys like it. If you have any topics you'd like us to discuss, please leave it in the comments below. Um, please subscribe to this channel. Um, we're brand new and who knows, we know YouTube won't monetize it. So we're not even trying who for that. Who cares? <laughs> still we're, like. we're old enough. We've got plenty of money. We don't care. <laughs> we're just um, going to spout up. <laughs> no, no. And race, where can people find you? Uh, probably you can find me all over social media. Uh, you can go to Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N.com and you can find me there. Um, I'm Mr. Christopher. You can find me on MrChristopher.com or Christopher Weston on Twitter. And I'm Jim. You will probably find me nowhere. I don't have Twitter or twitching or any of... I'm not tweeting, twitching. We are going to brand you. You are going to become a media sensation. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just don't start twitching, please. We don't want you to twitch. Do you call it twitching when you do that? Well, twitch? Yes. But that, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> Stick to the outro deck. Say goodbye. Everyone say goodbye. Thank you for watching. Bye. Bye. <laughs>